Please sweet on the Enneagram journey. Your toes tonight, okay? This chick's a lawyer. She's gonna be pretty sharp, so stick to the game plan, okay? She's a lawyer, I like that. He's yeah. sweating through his shirt, dude. I, I know. Listen, you remember your backstory? No? Oh, you don't no, remember? What is that? Right, listen, what is man, you're a philanthropist. That? That's what you are, okay? You used to own a small business, but you gave all that up to help others. Right, right. Now, who do I help? Who oh, am I helping? God. It doesn't matter. I, I don't know. Old people, uh, children, it, autistics, uh, dyslexic folks. It really folks. doesn't matter. I'm a full-on philanthropist. Dude, I can't get it. Well, how do you say it? What is it? Philanthropist! Oh, my God. God. What is that? What was that? Is that cheese? Have you eaten cheese? How much cheese have you eaten today? How much cheese is too much cheese? Any amount of cheese before a date is too much cheese. I had a lot of cheese. I had a block oh, of cheese. Okay, okay. just don't, don't block of cheese. I was today. very nervous. I started eating cheese, man. All right, all right, all right. Does Listen. that calm you down? Just don't breathe in her direction, okay? Whatever you do. How do I look? Relax. Stick to the game plan. Do I look handsome? You look great. I did everything that I was supposed to do. I didn't cry in meetings. I didn't wear short skirts. I put up with the weird upper management guys that kiss you on the mouth at Christmas. Is it fair? that to be the youngest VP in my company, I will be the oldest mom at preschool. Not really, but that's part of the deal. I made a choice. Some women got pregnant, I got promotions. And I still aspire to meet someone and fall in love and get married, but that is a very high risk scenario. And I want a baby now, I'm 37. Too much for a first date, isn't it? I said too much. I'm just gonna go use. As you all know, profits for Hampton DeVille are at an all time high. Unfortunately, the well being of our employees is at an all time low. Let's take a look at the average Hampton DeVille employee. The average life expectancy for a Hampton DeVille employee is 57.1 years. They get 5.2 so hours of sleep a night. I wish I could be asleep all the time. You just described death. Hmm. Yeah, I guess I want to be dead. I can't wait to die. Sounds so relaxing. Every year, the average employee consumes 561 cups of coffee. Yeah. And I feel nothing when I drink coffee. Coffee is a scam. Be an adult. Take an Adderall. The average Hampton DeVille employee strongly agrees with the following phrase. If I see a pill, I eat a pill. They smoke 275 cigarettes annually. 97 marijuana cigarettes, and due to some statistical outliers, the average employee does heroin. The average employee has 7.8 suicidal thoughts per day, 18 panic attacks a year, and wonders once an hour, every hour, why this is happening to them. And that concludes my presentation on how Hampton DeVille employees cope with the pain of being alive. Hi, Joel and Suzanne. Hi, my name is Art Wimberly. Hi, my name is Lauren. Hey, Suzanne, my name is Brad. Hi, Suzanne, my name is Chelsea. Hi, my name is Mark. Hi, my name is Sarah. Hi, my name is Nicole. Hi, my name is Rachel. And hi, my name is Joel. Welcome back, everyone, to the Anagram Journey podcast with Suzanne Stabile. Today, we're answering a few of the questions that you've sent in. We're going to be dealing with feelings in the workplace. A great question from Anagram 3s. Communication at home between an 8 and a 4... And let's talk about diving deep into a relationship quickly. Plug first, though. It's here. Registration and early, early bird cost is up and available for the March Enneagram teaching event with the woman who brought you the road back to you, the path between us, the journey toward wholeness, this podcast. She's bringing all of her knowledge and wisdom and experience. March the 9th through the 11th. Suzanne will be teaching in Dallas and available to view online if you can't be there. The Joy and Complexity of Adoption and Foster Care, Learning to Manage Expectations Through the Lens of the Enneagram. If you're thinking about adopting or becoming a foster parent, if you already are one, if someone important in your life is, if you're part of the system, or maybe you're part of somebody's support system, maybe you're part of a blended family or a family that could become one. In short, this teaching weekend is for you and it is for anyone and everyone. What role does your Enneagram personality play in identifying and managing expectations? What are the things that you haven't even thought of yet that are going to come up? How are you going to take care of yourself and make room for others' personalities and take care of the relationships that are important to you? It's hard. 
in the interviews that we've had with adoptive and foster parents uh, in preparation for this, that is a common theme. It is hard. It's still going to be hard after hearing Suzanne, but hopefully it won't be as difficult and you're going to be better prepared to take care of yourself and your family. And hopefully this will help you develop a support system and meet other people going along this journey with you or alongside of you. March 9th through the 11th, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. Sign up before January to get that early, early bird price. If you can't be in the room with us in Dallas at the Grove, then we hope that you'll join us via the online option. As always, everyone who registers will have access to the replay of the teaching. You're going to visit lifeinthetrinityministry.com slash family for all the important information and to register today. That is March 9th through the 11th. The joy and complexity of fostering and adoption. Learning to manage expectations through the lens of the Enneagram with Suzanne Stabile. In Dallas, online. Looking forward to being with you there. Lifeinthetrinityministry.com slash family. And the link is also in the show notes. Happy holidays to everyone. And let's get to the Q&A mailbag with the Godmother. Every day. Are you intentionally kicking that? No, I was trying to put my shoe, it came off my foot. Okay. My big toe's dead, so I didn't know it was what on there. <laughs> I see you looking down at it and kicking it over. I was like, oh, whatever. <laughs> Interesting play. <laughs> yep, I just wanted to cause trouble, so I, I'm messing with the stuff. <laughs> Things were moving a little slow. You're like, you know what, I'll wake Joel up a little bit. I'll kick well, the microphone stand. You know, I need a moment. Like, my toe is out of my shoe, and because my toe was broken and it's dead, I didn't even know it. Oh, man, we're given the information uh, on the intro of today's <laughs> Anagram Journey podcast. Your toe would be inside your shoe if you had these beautiful burks like I've got. <sighs> Speechless. I, I. That's right. I've had them for 20 years. Yeah. I said to Dad, if we bought him a new pair of burks, do you think he would wear them? Nope. And Dad said, not till he wears those out. I said, and when do you think that might be? This is a testament to not our sponsor. But yes, no kidding. <laughs> if Birkenstocks, if you're listening, uh, you know, by all means. But yeah, I've had these closed toe Burks since my freshman year of college. Yep. And um, still have them. About 80% of them are still here. So <laughs> I think that's a stretch. I, told, wait, I was telling somebody who was asking me about it, it might have been Laura. I was like, yeah, I'll just find random pieces of cork. Kind of laying around. <laughs> I know what it's from. So. Well, Dad has a pair that he leaves outside. Well, that's uh, not taking good care of them. I mean, they're... And they look pretty much the same no, as yours. No. Well, mine are indoor shoes. There you go. <laughs> yeah. All right, well, we are recording today. Uh, we're recording a couple podcasts, but the one that listeners are hearing right now is Q&A that have been sent in via the voice mailbox and the old regular email mailbox. I like both. They're good. I, I like the voicemail ones better just because then I don't have to read the <laughs> the, the email. Yeah. But yeah, they're they're good questions. Not that you mind reading them when they come in. You just don't like to read them. Out loud, correct. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah. So with that being said, we're going to jump right on into it uh, with a question from Rachel. Hi, Suzanne. My name is Rachel. I'm an Enneagram 3 soft press. Um, I'm a general manager, and I my problem is I struggle with identifying what the problems are to put them into words. Like when I'm dealing with a problem with a employee or just a person in general, I struggle to – I feel it and I see it, but I can't quantify it in words and put it down, you know, in bullet points or on paper or even in my mind, I can't get it straight so that I can fix the problem. I just feel all these feelings and I can't uh, define what the issue is so that I can get it fixed. I was wondering if you had any tips for me and I'm assume I'm assuming I'm not the only one with this problem, um, but to be able to uh, be more efficient with the thinking uh, to figure out what that problem actually is and to deal with it. Thank you so much. Bye. I just love it when threes just can't help themselves and they use the word efficient. Rachel, you're just um, uh, struggling with something that a lot of people struggle with who are threes. So let me start with orientation to time. Part of the problem is that 
threes are fixers. And so for them to be present to a problem long enough to be able to wrap their head around it and say, uh, it's ABC, what they end up dealing with is a lot of feelings. And I would suppose and propose that the feelings that you're dealing with are frustration. What is this person talking about? Why isn't that getting handled before it gets to this? You know, I I wouldn't want anybody to think that as a three, you're feeling sad and feeling like uh, people are misunderstood because that's likely not what you're feeling. You're feeling like, how are we going to fix this and move on? And so I think the thing you have to do is put everything in real time in the present moment and then evaluate what you would do if you were in the situation instead of evaluating it from a distance. When I hear the question and you hear the main point of it being about feelings and organizing the feelings, and then you want to add the words thinking and efficiency Mm -hmm. And it's kind of, I don't, I don't think it's oil and water, but it's a hard mix to be like, I would like to get some bullet points around these feelings Mm -hmm. and be efficient with it. Mm -hmm. And I I haven't found a lot of success in that in my own personal life. So I get it. Like she said, other people have the same struggle. Yeah. Aggressive numbers have the same struggle. And it's, um, is, is it from your expertise as an aggressive number? Is it because it's just messier than it needs to be because there are feelings involved? Yeah, especially her question is work-related, I believe. Yeah, of her. yeah. And so when you talk about threes being able to, you know, read. The room. They've got it. So then when you're combining that with, okay, now I have to, in a professional way, yeah. and through the lens that I see the world, organize all of this that seems unnecessary to me Uh, right isn't that how you all would see it it's like oh my this seems so unnecessary but i've got to understand the feelings in order to manage the person and i would say you have to understand the situation in order to manage the person hats off to her just already for trying for trying exactly because i i think there are a lot of aggressive numbers Mm -hmm. who are great phenomenal human beings uh, and great managers and, and all the things. So this isn't taking shots at anybody else. I would not, even at my, let's pull from the last eight years, the healthiest months of my life, I would not be a good manager of other people just because I, that's not the gift I have for right. people that have, you know, that do bring emotions to work and right, et cetera. It's like, well, here's, here's the deal. Yeah. <laughs> We got to do this stuff today. And that's a, that's a real bummer. And we got to do this stuff. Yeah. Yeah. I think for a long time, Rachel, I think we will from this day forward being say, we will from this day forward, find ourselves saying, remember that call we had from Rachel, who was a three managing people who was trying really hard to manage feelings. Trying to be efficient with feelings. Yeah. For other people. Yeah. Professionally. Yeah. And feelings are very inefficient at the get-go. So be respectful. Be um, a little more expansive in your responses than you normally would be. Limit what's happening to the situation and look at it in real time. And recognize that you're probably a really good manager because you're asking this question. Do you think there's got to be some acceptance of also it's probably never going to be as efficient as you want it to be? Sure. Sure. Isn't that how you feel about working with me? I feel like I get the opportunities to grow (laughs) in areas that I struggle with. (laughs) Because of my lack of efficiency. I do not think I would be an easy person for an aggressive number to manage. Well, one, let's be clear. I don't manage you. Uh, 
and there's no confusion on that from from this side of the table. <laughs> this side either. I'm 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 clear. Okay. And I also the thing is too that works well is we work together a lot. It's not every day though. No. And I don't go home with you and you don't go home with me. Your dad's. <laughs> so <laughs> And he's so happy to have me. There we go. And that's yeah. why that works. And you know I I I do think it helps. I, this Rachel, this doesn't have anything to do with Rachel's situation, bless her heart. But I do think that we, um, I do better with all of the LTM folks because I office at home. And it's better for me. Mm-hmm. I'm not distracted at home and I can. I can't imagine how little work done. would get done around here. I know. Well, you don't have to because I'm never going to office here. All right. Well, we're going to keep it with, uh, and with Enneagram 3s. Hi, I'm an Enneagram 3 with a big four wing, and I'm bisexual. I'm a 36-year-old surgeon in Texas. It took me a long time to come out to my religious disapproving mother, but I did. A few years later, and I'm in my first same-sex relationship. My mother is very disappointed. How do I process the shame and grief over the loss of this close relationship and resist the urge to just hide behind my threeness, which feels so much easier? Thank you, love the pod, and all of you. I'm so sorry. I, um, like, I feel that question physically. It makes me so sad. And the only thing I know to say is that I think you can assume that she's doing the best she can. And I, um, continue to offer to people a practice that, Joe and I have used for years, and we used it with his parents because they didn't approve of him leaving the priesthood and marrying me and all of that. And it is we tried to keep the relationship in between whatever lines would work by saying very clearly, you tell me what you want, and I'll tell you whether or not I can give it to you. And I'll tell you what I want, and you can tell me whether or not you can give it to me. And if you can get your mom to sit down and have that conversation with you, then you might find a territory where you can stay in some kind of relationship with her that's respectful from both sides. And at the same time, she may have to think a little differently because, um, this complicated situation really is a reference to thinking. I'm sure in terms of feeling, she loves you and she loves you deeply. And I think people have to be taught to give themselves room to think differently. And you have your whole life ahead of you. And I would congratulate you on finding the courage that it takes to be yourself and the saddest thing that could happen would be for you to give that up she has two questions here how do i process the shame i'm gonna i'm gonna read the sentence and make it two sentences okay how do i process the shame over the loss of this close relationship how do i process the grief over the loss of this relationship what do you what do you say to that? Like the number of the number of times, for instance, I'm asking because I'm I've said multiple times how uh, not fluent around shame I am, mm-hmm. and when people, you know, when I read this, I'm I want to be like, you have nothing to be ashamed of. Right. Like, there's what shame is there to be had? Right. What do you say to that? I don't know how much enneagram work this person has done, so, um. If you know your three centers and the order that they fall in, thinking, feeling, and doing, then the reality is that you have to process shame and address it with your support center of intelligence. You are both feeling dominant and feeling repressed, which leaves you with thinking and doing. And from the read of your email, I would believe that you are thinking dominant. 
And so what you have to do is use thinking dominant more as the support center mm-hmm. by the read to be yep. clear. Yeah. Yes. Feeling dominant, feeling repressed. And so you're going to have to find a way to use thinking to address the problem and not doing. And I think we alleviate shame usually by doing. And it feels good for a minute, but it doesn't last. And in order to address shame, you you have to, you have to use thinking and be reasonable about the choices you've made and be as generous as you can about the choices that she's made and her limitations in understanding who you are and how you see yourself in the world. And more feelings won't help that. (laughs) Yeah. I say, yeah. I mean, that sounds like it wouldn't help. All right. Next question is from Sunny. Hey there, I'm hoping you can help me with a revolving conflict that we have in our family. So I am an Enneagram 4, married to a wonderful Enneagram 8 that I love very dearly. He is a physical therapist, owns a practice, and we live above it in an apartment. It's a 30-second commute up the stairs to our apartment. So he will finish his day, walk in the house, and say something like, it's so nice outside. That's what I hear. Um, I respond with something very defensive. What What I'm hearing him say is, it's nice outside. Why are you and the six four, two, and one month old inside when it's so nice. I respond by saying, I know it's nice outside. I'm trying to just get dinner ready and fold the laundry. He's confused saying, why are you defensive? I'm simply stating a fact. How can you help me hear past his tone and just hear the actual words that he's saying? I hurt his feelings a lot with my defensiveness and it kind of spirals. Secondly, would it be beneficial for an eight to take a break after work, like have a commute or, um, would it be helpful for him to set some of his energy aside and take like a mile long walk at the end of the day? Would that even do anything for him? I'm not sure. I don't have the right words, but I think you can understand what I'm saying. Um, and just maybe curbing his energy a little bit. Thirdly, whenever we get into an argument, he's always the first to apologize. And I say that hundred percent of the time he's the first to apologize. I am sorry. And I do feel remorse, but I'm wondering if it's just that he can process what's happened quicker than I am, or could it be that I am just so darn stubborn? It feels bad to him that He's always the first to apologize. And after he initiates, I say, yes, I'm sorry, too. What's going on there? (laughs) All right, I'm going to start with the third part and work backwards. I'm sorry is not terribly effective because it doesn't actually require a response. I would encourage the two of you to both start using, when it's appropriate, the language, will you forgive me? Because that requires a response, which kind of wraps things up. It's like, I'm sorry too, doesn't work. But sometimes I'm sorry doesn't work. So will you forgive me is a completely different thing. I also think that because you two see the world through very different lenses and because he doesn't have a commute and you're uh, steps away with four children. I would suggest that you all do a check-in once a week. And um, I know Joel and Whitney have done that for a long time. Joe and I um, have been married for a long, long time, and we still do a check-in, but it's not scheduled. We just, when things don't feel quite right, we just choose to go somewhere um, and eat comforting food while we talk through what we need to talk through. Uh, So... I, I I think y'all need to schedule one and do one once a week and not do the everyday thing or the every other day thing. And then I think you can say, um, when you come upstairs from your day and say it's so beautiful, it's too beautiful to be inside or whatever that exact language is, then I, I think you don't want to talk about that right then. You just say, it is a really pretty day. Should I put dinner on hold and we can take the kids for a walk? But that's a we, and dinner's going on hold, and it changes the whole um, plan. But then I don't think it should be discussed beyond that or something like that 
until your weekly check-in. And, I, you know, sometimes by the time you get to check-in, the stuff you thought you were really whipped up about, you don't care enough about to even bring it up and talk about it. How did it work for y'all, Joel? Y'all did a check-in once a month, a week, right? We did, uh, and it worked well sometimes, and other times it didn't work quite so well. And now, uh, and this sounds, this might sound bad. I think it's a great thing. Our check-in is couples therapy. Yep. Just because, you know, what you just said there, the things, you know, a week later aren't quite a big deal. Usually y'all aren't on the same page. Yep. So if the check-in's on Sunday and Whitney would come with something that she wanted to talk about from six days ago on Monday. Yeah. That's tricky. Yeah. So it's been just having another person there for the check-in. Changes everything. It's been really, really great. And it's gone so much better. I also, and I don't know if this applies to threes as well. I don't know if what I'm about to say applies to threes, but one of the things in our relationship with Whitney being a one and me being a seven is she would take that to what, uh, what Sonny said there, you know, he, you added a sentence, like it's such a pretty day outside. That was the end of the sentence. Yeah. Well, I I would say stuff and do say things to Whitney and she'll add things to that instead of what I said. Yeah. And I think that's, I've, I think odds are mm-hmm. he probably was like, man, it's a pretty day outside. Yeah. And it's an assumption the, for sure. That is the end of the sentence. Yeah. And it's still, I think the response that you gave, if what she's feeling is, does he, is he judging me for being mm-hmm. inside? Mm-hmm. Bam. Then if that's how you feel, then I think that's a great response of saying it is, you know, it is pretty. Do, do you want to go outside? Mm-hmm. I'm working on dinner, you know, because then it addresses that. He'd be like, yeah, let's do it. Or no, it's all good. I'm just making an observation of. Yeah. How nice it is. And can't wait for dinner or whatever. There's just such a significant difference in fours and eights. There's a lot there to deal with. Um, Joel talked about the fact that he and Whitney are in couples therapy, but Joe and I, um, we've had a therapist for 19 years. Same one. And when we need to go, we go. And I, I think what one of the things that therapy offers for couples is so much less baggage and regret in your marriage because what needs to be through gets worked through and you don't have all of this stuff that you just carry with you for 40 years, 50 years. There are a lot of couples who have unresolved issues that lead to pain who never work them out. And then they all rise to the top when life slows down. And you have all that stuff that you're carrying. I can tell you right this minute, I have zero from my relationship with dad that I'm carrying because we deal with it as it comes up. And when we need help, we go get help. I don't have any, I don't have any regrets and I I just have zero. And I would have a lot of regret if we hadn't worked out some things along the way. And I know if you have four kids and you're living above the practice and all all of that, you know, money is hard to come by. And you can answer for you and Whitney. But for me, I don't think there's a better investment than a good therapist. I don't know is the answer to that. I mean, I'd like to keep comparing our check-in without the therapist to our checking with mm-hmm. the therapist, the times that we would check in sans therapist where Whitney says something to me mm-hmm. and I address it with thinking. And then I get just going down that rabbit hole and Whitney immediately regrets one saying it or how she said it, or maybe it wasn't the right words. And okay. I said that, but what you're missing what I'm trying to say yeah. with the other person in the room, then it's, it just slows everything down. Mm-hmm. It feels when our, and some of our check-ins went really well. And every check-in that we do isn't with a therapist now. Right. It's just, we have that. And the, the slowing down of the conversation 
so that things can't snowball and the being heard, especially on, um, I think on her side yeah. that, of, of being heard and seen being, and, and seen. Yes. You yeah. know, one of us will say something and you know, just those times where our therapist says, well, hang on one second. I want to check in with Whitney here. Yep. Hang on one second. Let's check in with Joel and you know, anything that's yes. just invaluable. And you can't do, we can't do that. No, you can't ever just the two of ourselves. Our, Ever. It doesn't self. matter how old you get or how long you've been together. You can't do it. And I was and, a little. And, and that's a safe space to say, man, he's, you've got a lot of energy when you come home. And it's because the thing. I've been with the kids all day. Right. Yeah. And the thing that, you know, when she says, what do you think about do eights need like a, mm-hmm. a walk or something? Kind of, do you need your eight to go for a walk? This seems a little bit more. That's right. That's a different thing. And so. I'm very careful how I answer things like that because, you know, we meet people on the road and they say, yeah, my wife said, you said I should (laughs) do this. But the thing that, that I think is a clue and I've said it over and over and over aggressive numbers think faster than we do. And that means that when they have an argument, he always wins and he always apologizes first, she said. But I bet you the apology comes sometimes before she's even dealt with the pain. It, it's like, let's wrap this up. Oh, I'm sorry. I was wrong. I'm sorry. But I, I also think it's that we're, you say that aggressive numbers think faster. Again, I don't know if this applies to threes. You'd have to. And heck, if I know if this applies to eights, eights. or other sevens. I'm okay to quickly apologize when I don't, I don't have my feelings aren't tied to right. whatever I said or whatever I did. You're thinking and doing and feeling. And so if I said something that was wrong, um, I'm sorry. And, and I am sorry, but I also, it's not, it is done now. Well, it's not done have shame in it. It yeah. doesn't have guilt in it. It's just, oh, I'm, I'm sorry. And that's why I, it, I think that's why it's quicker for sevens and eights to. Well, to you're just, just so logical you just are and for other the other six numbers that's really hard it's been a long time since i heard you use this in your teaching publicly and you definitely have before but the the time when i was in high school and me and you and dad were fighting and uh dad was really upset with me i was really upset i'm sure i was in the wrong whatever uh, and you you were like, you need to go and you need to apologize to your dad and this and this. And this. I was like, why do I have to apologize? He knows. That's right. He knows that I'm, I would never hurt him on purpose. I would never, all these things. Yeah, at that moment, you all, you always added, I love him more than anybody in the world, and there I'm standing. <laughs> See, you're, you're remembering <laughs> stuff like that. So Maybe yeah. we need to go to therapy. Yeah, but... You, it is a matter of it doesn't matter. So good for him for apologizing. I didn't expect that to be part of the story. I do, just because I. That's what you do. And that's what, this sounds really, really crude or crash or, I don't know. It's easy to apologize when you're not tied to whatever it was. It is. is. And maybe that's why he apologizes easily. Mm -hmm. That seldom happens that a four is not tied to whatever's yeah. happening. So you've got an eight that's like probably madly in love. Yeah. And I super love you and care about you. And I don't care about this thing. And I'm, so, I'm sorry about this. Sorry. Thing. And yeah. yeah. And <laughs> where it's like, I super love you also. And I do actually am really tied to this thing that yeah. you're just trying to blow through. Yeah. And you know, I wonder if the, the person who needs the break when he finishes his work day I wonder if she's the one who needs to go for a walk. Well, that's what I was saying. Yeah, I think that's like, the thing to do. I I do think that's good. And good for you for asking the question and good for y'all for working at it. And you'll work it out. You will. And it's hard to do days with four children and have somebody walk through the door and say anything other than, you look beautiful, how can I help you? Winnie never says that to me when she walks in the door. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Good morning, Suzanne, Joe, and the crew. 
Uh, I'm 32 year old and this is the one I'm going to read. This one's a little bit long. So I'm going to, I'm just going to read. I'm a 32 year old pansexual gender nonconforming hospice chaplain. And I'm an anagram two. My relationship history is mostly with men. And so from the outside, my relationships are often read as two gay men. I had previously been in a seven year relationship. We were engaged. I discovered the person who was an openly queer pastor had a secret life that did not align with my values. I ended the relationship. It has been over a year and I've been dating. Dating as a two who works as a hospice chaplain has been challenging, especially within the queer community. I feel like many of us have wounds around being vulnerable as we have to develop a strong boundary between public and private life to survive often at early ages. It's natural for me to go into feelings quickly. I often move both emotionally and physically close quickly, and my dates often uh, meet me in that moment. But afterwards, they often feel like they overexpose themselves, that they were too vulnerable too quickly and retreat. Some days I feel like I'm the problem, that I'm an emotional temptress that draws out vulnerability and tenderness in a way that is potentially harmful to others. Other days I'm scornful that... My dating peer pool is not so practiced with emotional vulnerability. As a two, how do I find a better balance of offering space for deep connection, but allowing others to draw their own boundaries around what emotional movement within our connection feels right for them? Because if I'm driving the train, we're going to go deep fast. How do I balance my need for emotional vulnerability without being needy? And uh, he close, they close with that uh, they go to therapy every other week. FYI. That's a very brave question. The first offering I have is uh, Henry Nowen, who was a gay man, and he wrote the book The Wounded Healer. And I think if you can enter into a relationship with his work by starting with The Wounded Healer, you will be able to compartmentalize better in a healthy way. You know, some compartmentalization is really unhealthy, but I think you'll be able to compartmentalize your work as a hospital, as a hospice chaplain. And I think you need a ritual that leaves your feelings and that energy around feelings at work. And then you need to kind of enter into the evening or the weekend or the dating world not carrying that because it's too much. It's just too much. And it's too much for other twos to handle even. It would be too much for every other number except fours. And I'm not saying I think you should find a four to date. I don't think that's the solution. I'm just explaining the difference in all the other numbers. And I I don't want to be hurtful at all. So please hear this as helpful and uh, from my heart. People can't go as deep as you want to go as fast as you want to go. And there's no reason to be scornful about that. They just can't. And there's no reason to feel guilty because you can. It just can't be. And so for dating to be successful you're going to have to slow down. I would suggest that you date for someone for a while by going and doing an activity, not by going to dinner or going for coffee or going for drinks and getting to know one another. There are ways to naturally slow things down. Yeah. You know, go to a movie group group thing. Yeah, Um, exactly. And I think if you slow things down naturally, then you can follow the other person's lead in terms of how uh, vulnerable the two of you choose to be. On the other hand, I want you to really hear this. I get it. I get, as much as I can, as a straight woman, I get the vulnerability of hiding when you were and the vulnerability of not hiding anymore and just wanting to make up for lost time. I get it. And it isn't how other numbers are put together. And it's not personal. So don't take it personally 
that people can't go that deep with you. They cannot do what you're asking. And so I think you should take the path of, I think I might really be interested in a long-term relationship with this person. So I'm going to start slow and go slow. And I also spend enough time um, around gay men and uh, in a gay community of men to know that there's a sense of urgency in relationships because so many relationships don't last. And I think you get to a point where you think, I want to know right away if this is going to work, because if it's not, I want to move on. And you can't do that either. I don't have anything else to offer except that I think it's great that you asked the question. You sound very self-aware. And the I do have one more thing to offer, and that is you, you need a friend for your verbal processing, somebody that you're not interested in romantically. Because as twos, we just verbally process with whoever we're with. If we're comfortable, whatever's on our mind, and that's, that's not good. And it doesn't go anywhere that's healthy, and the reason I know that is because I've done it so many times. I can talk about a little bit the other end of the spectrum. Yeah. Because the, none of the things that were shared are things that I struggled with. However, I struggle with doing those things. So, for instance, I've got to, it seems like there is there is the, the inverse of what I'm about to say as, as an option. So, I have to, I remember the first couple of dates going out with Whitney and other people before Whitney uh, over the years. Right? This sounds ridiculous. But I had to write down some questions, like some personal questions, like, you know, some go-to, all right, at some point you can ask, ask this question. This is personal. This will go a little bit deeper and so on. Well, do the opposite of that. Yeah. I don't, I know you. That's a great idea. You, Suzanne, are, are all, how's, how's, I know so-and-so is, is sick. How are you dealing with that? You ask those, those are your questions that you go to. Ask how the Rangers are doing. Yeah, exactly. Ask if if they like to bowl, I don't know. Yeah. And then go, if the answer is yes, go bowling. Then go bowling. Yep. But not, so tell me about your family and your story of coming out or, or whatever. The other thing about that too, I think is that if you don't build a friendship before you build a romantic relationship that involves a lot of vulnerability, then you don't have what you need for the long haul. Anyway, there are a lot of days that are just days like dad and I are both working today and we're both working all day. We have stuff to do from morning till bedtime and there's not really any time for us to just be together. And our friendship carries us through those days, not our romantic relationship. And there are a lot of them. All right. That what you just said, I've got a question now and it's not, I'm not inferring this on uh, this person's question. Sure. This is a new, brand new question. Okay. Do you think that in all realms of relationships, straight, gay, all the other things that are in between, that I'm sorry, his his ears must be burning. BJ just texted. So <laughs> <laughs> that's amazing. Sorry. Uh, Relationships that get that move quickly like this into those uh, deep, important, serious questions. Can those turn into relationships that are built on episodic meaning? Yes. And then then those aren't. When the episode's over, it's over. Yeah. And and when you're out of episodes. Then the relationship's over. over. You don't have anything left to work with because you have so much energy at the beginning that when it's a ho-hum day like I have today, you it's like, why am I doing this day around your schedule, Joe Stabile? Right? Like, that's what happens. I We were in a very unusual situation, and I get that. But we were just friends for three and a half years. And it's the foundational piece of what makes our relationship work. Mm-hmm. I think one of the things that helped you and Whitney 
is that you both had children that you were responsible for and very committed to. And so you couldn't like, nope, can't do that. I've like, there were a lot of unintentional boundaries in my building a relationship with dad and you building a relationship with Whitney that are all very healthy. We asked, I, I think, yeah, all right. So we, for people that don't know, I met my beautiful wife on Tinder and we met up. I think I shared, we did talk about this <laughs> recently, just over, over about the first month, I'd kind of let another thing out about, Hey, just so you know, yeah. <laughs> I got this, this happened just so you know, I survived this yeah. just, just so you know, I'm an alcoholic yeah. like these things. But what we, what we did, we were like, we both have kids, yep. we're both busy people. Yeah. We were both, I went a while without dating before doing that. And I was like, all right, I'm, I think I'm ready to date again. Asked questions about life, not personal questions, not yep. real personal in-depth questions. We didn't ask about the other's ex. We yep. didn't ask about these things. It was, how do you like to spend your days? Yeah. What do you like to do? What does that sound like something I want to be a part of? Exactly. Instead of. And in the queer community, as human beings, they are a community who long for acceptance, being seen, understanding, a future that looks like other people have, whatever that is. And they just want to get there. Like, I, I get it, but in that community, more relationships don't work than do. And I think it's because of that excitement that causes all nine numbers to behave in excess in their number, which is what this person's doing. This is another question that is not a comparison to the queer community. But when we're talking about episodic meaning in relationships, I wonder if that is why it's discouraged for people in recovery to or like in early recovery to get in a romantic relationship with other people that are early in recovery because, because of that yeah. episodic meaning, because of what you're saying yeah. and how. And there's so much energy in episodic events. It, it took BJ a long, long time to not need an episode to build a relationship. A long time. And it's, the, it's a beautiful relationship. But, and BJ wouldn't care if I tell this story, but, but it's so interesting to me that the very first time I met BJ's husband, BJ went to the bathroom and Devin looked at Joe and me and said, do y'all find that sometimes James is a little extra? <laughs> and there's never a bigger understatement ever said in the world, right? Yep. And it didn't mean he didn't love BJ. He just, he's just extra. And you have to learn not to be. And that's discipline. But you were using discipline by trying to share feelings. It's a discipline to write on a card, I think this is a good feeling question. And to think that through and to prepare to ask it. So it's not like only feeling types have to have the discipline. Every type does. Yeah. Relationships require work, apparently. A lot of it. <laughs> All right. And good ones are worth it. I agree. That was such a great question. That was great. Thank you. And, and good luck. Yeah. Hey, Suzanne, uh, I'm in Enneagram 6. I'd like to remain anonymous. I just recently broke up from a toxic relationship, um, which was very meaningful to me, but also not a good situation. There was emotional abuse involved and I had to get out. So that was three months ago, but I still feel constantly stuck in my head with the same sort of ruminations every day. It's like every morning I wake up with my sixth committee and they want to know all over again, uh, why did we break up again? Why? 
currently reaching back out to her and uh, it's just kind of getting exhausting. And so I just wondered if you could give some advice for sixes when we get stuck in our heads, um, when we're stuck in rumination and a mental loop that just feels like it's never going to end, what to do and how to get free. Thank you for all that you do. I appreciate your work. And um, yeah, thanks. Thank you for the question. Um, I'm, I, I'm trying to think of some things to say before I say the big part of the answer. And I can't think of any. So, trying to cushion a blow. Yeah, I am trying to cushion a blow. So I'm just going to tell you that's just lazy thinking. That's lazy thinking. To allow yourself to think that over and over and over and over is um, lazy. So what you need to do to address that is figure out a way to put that down. Like it's not just going to go away. You have to find a way to put that down. And the best way we know is with welcoming prayer. So you're going to have to welcome the lazy thinking so that you can let go of it and think about something else. And then I would suggest that you start something new. Um, I don't know if you're a reader, but if you are, pick a series of books that you're going to read, all three of or all four of. If you are an athlete, then try a new thing at the gym. Like put your energy into something that's new for you so that you get curious about something besides this relationship that you've ended because you needed to. And if you don't know about Welcoming Prayer, we have it available on the table. It's on the table. Well, we're working on it, but it is the um, the best place to find it. It is the Thursday, the bulk of the Thursday night teaching from Breaking the Cycle. Yeah. Go there. And get that teaching and work on welcoming prayer and then find something new that interests you and that will pique your curiosity about something besides that. I always like in shows and movies, uh, the most recent example of this, I remember seeing it on New Girl. Maybe writing down that letter, writing down that note to yourself of you into this relationship. If, if the committee is like, wait, why? Bam. Here's why. Here, Joel. Like you, because this happened and this happened, this happened. Now go uh, read that book or go do the Jim yeah. XR Summit. Just whatever. Good. Quick little rubber band snap to Absolutely. get you out of it. You got to do it. And it's always ritual. It's always involves some kind of ritual. Always. Yeah, I think we'll call it right there. Okay. That's good. Keep, keep the questions coming in. Please do. Uh, we We both just love to hear your voice and... To hear you say things your way, it helps us um, kind of think through and try to offer you what we have to offer in our way. Uh, and our next Q&A episode will be around the uh, all the hundreds of questions that have come from the uh, Enneagram Journey Toward Wholeness Tour. So be sure to find that podcast episode when it drops. And give it a listen because there are a lot of great questions there as well. And thank you for listening and supporting LTM and the podcast.